Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. <laughs> I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, parent, and journalist. And I'm Sarah's partner, Alex. I work in communications, and we've been married for 15 years and had an open relationship for about three. And I'm also very excited to introduce our guest, Eli, who I'm going to do an introduction and then you jump in and tell me what I missed. Okay, sounds good. Progressive policy wonk, <laughs> barbecue loving, blazing hot trans mask drag performer. Eli, what else? Wow, I don't know. I think you nailed all of it. Also, in big hugger. I big hugger. Big hug, yeah. yeah. There we go. Lover of bubbly grapefruit soda water. Yes, grapefruit, <laughs> bubbly water all the time. Are you willing to go on record that it's the best flavor? It is. LaCroix can suck it. Yeah. <laughs> we need to uh, That's our sponsor, sort of like, Eli. <laughs> oh, seriously? No, no. okay. <laughs> Do you know how far it would be if that was our sponsor? (laughs) (laughs) I finally feel like I'd arrived. Right. I I just want one flavor to sponsor us. Like, brought to you by LaCroix Apricot. Way better than Peach Bear. Um, Okay. So, anyway, yes, no, they're not, we have no sponsors. Uh, We are beholden to no one. Uh, So, Eli, will you start by telling us a little bit about your journey to non monogamy? Um, and what it looks like in your life right now. You were one of those weird people who started being non-monogamous during the pandemic, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I would say like so many people, <laughs> I actually started non-monogamy in a, mon- in a long-term relationship and then it crashed and burned. Um, mm-hmm. And then like, then the pandemic happened and then I was like, okay, actually I do want to try this again, but I want to try it more on my terms, I want to try it in a sense of where I'm not trying to like save a relationship, right? Where it's actually like, what's actually the grounding aspect of this for yeah. me? Like why, like, cause I think I had started it with my partner at the time because, you know, I, I thought there was something to save or if they had more access to other people that then maybe they would like me more. Like it was very much out of like desperation, yeah. you know, feelings of smallness and shame, you know, the fun things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that whole not enough too much paradigm yeah. that we all yeah. love living in. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So after that relationship crashed and burned, that was the week of the pandemic. Um, so we broke up on a Saturday. Um, Inslee shut the state down on Monday um, and uh, I moved out the following Friday and wow. I moved into an apartment um, by myself Holy for the shit. first time ever. I had never lived alone before. Um, and then the West Seattle Bridge shut three days later. So, Eli. I, oh my God. <laughs> this made the hair right. Like, I'm so scared right now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so, how does it feel to be talking to people again? Oh, so good. It's so good. Especially again, the whole hug thing. Yeah. Like, touch yeah, yeah, is like a big yeah. deal to me. So, Aww. you know, to like lose a partnership, lose your house, lose um, like community, lose your sense of the world. I mean, the whole world. I think we were all kind of crashing and burning at that yeah. time. Um, and I just remember like sitting in my apartment alone and like, you know, the one piece of furniture I had watching, you know, like SPD, like turn cars around, you Uh know, on the bridge. And I was just like, oh, I'm alone. So alone. Yeah. 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 So, but at the, you know, like so many stories, silver lining of that is by actually being so alone for kind of the first time in my life and having a lot of time to myself to think, to be in my body. That was also right around the time that was like midway of like being more comfortable being trans and non-binary, being on testosterone. I like started testosterone at the beginning of the pandemic too. So like uh, non-monogamy actually just was like a, it was something I'd always wanted to touch back into because the idea of starting another relationship and I think like putting all your eggs in one basket with one person 
I think just felt completely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't imagine starting to date someone right now and be on that similar path and then have that exact same thing happen. And I think, of course, you know, you don't want to just do non-monogamy because you don't want to commit. That's also not the goal. But I think it was a helpful way to, like, re-enter dating in a way with some more integrity. Yeah. You know, mm. of, like, um, versus just telling everyone, like, I want to be casual. Right. You know? Yeah. So I think there's a big difference between dating casually and being non-monogamous, right? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm very clearly, like, I, I really want to be non-monogamous. It wasn't just, like, oh, I want to do casual dating, but do it ethically. <laughs> like, that's it's, it's a different, we're talking about different yeah. conversations with people. But I also messed up. Like, the first person. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, are you kidding? I made a mistake, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I totally made a mistake. Yeah, the first person I started going on dates with in the pandemic, and of course, this is, like, you know, if we can all, like, roll back three years, it was, like, you know, how much have you isolated? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like pre-vaccine, pre-like, you know, all the dates were outside and it like took so much negotiation. How much are we going to breathe on each other? Yeah, Yeah, with every date. Yeah, Yeah. 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 you're like, is this the date we negotiate a kiss for next date? (laughs) I am risking my life to go on this date. Literally, literally. Because we started dating in that environment for the first time, Uh, like in decades, I kind of, in retrospect, appreciated that there was so much like, structure and expectation setting and communication that was required yes. that like that I didn't process, even realize yeah. since it's kind of been more not a thing the way that people are just like you know just sort of fall into things or don't talk before right. about I just kind of started thinking like oh you always like talk before a date like about how physical it might get yeah and that's like a really actually useful it's super useful anytime it is yeah. it was a big collective lesson in consent in a way yeah. you know I think about that Actually, just thinking about this last night on a date, how I have never since we opened up, and I think in large part because of the pandemic, gone in for a kiss without asking first. Yeah. You know, and prior to that, my experience with dating, I was a lot younger and it was a really different time. But the idea that you would ask someone to kiss them was kind of anathema and it certainly wasn't culturally reflected very often. Right. I'm like, oh, I just would never do that now. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I feel like too, just like as, as a queer person, like, COVID and negotiation around like boundaries and touch and space like actually like fits really well just in queer community as well because like I think as queers like we've had to do that so often for so long I mean even go back in like the AIDS crisis and like Mm. how do you negotiate touch and community space right what is safety what is like how do we define safety especially when we often feel like the government is failing us right around safety and I think that was kind of a collective experience for a lot of people of like not you know can we trust the CDC Right. Like, can we trust like what they say? Or is this actually just about trying to get business open again? And I think for the queer community, we're like, oh, we've been there. You know, I wasn't personally like there in that as part of the AIDS crisis. I wasn't alive then. But like those were a lot of stories that were getting talked about, I think, with a lot of like queer elders um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Because they were like, we've been here, done this. We know what to do. Um, So it felt actually very normal to negotiate all of that. And then so then it just made an even more natural fit, at least for me, with non-monogamy. Because I was like, oh, you we need to talk about our feelings and like make sure we're aligned. And like, he was like, great, this just sounds gay. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) COVID plus non-monogamy equals gay. Yeah. Yeah, Pretty much. much. I think that like gets to a question about like, is there, you know, is there something inherently queer about non-monogamy, even if it's being like practiced oh. by straight people. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And there are people in the queer community who I think would disagree with me, but that's mm-hmm. fine, you know, like tension's fine. Um, but like, I really believe like so much of, also even why I prefer the word queer over like gay or 
like LGBTQ or like other things like is because queer to me is just about like bending and like not being a part of the normal. Like I wouldn't say like non-monogamy is like inherently queer, but I would say like it's in, it's like queer adjacent or it's like it's the same like mm-hmm. um, I just really feel that like we're all better off when we can all be a lot more flexible and adaptable and fluid. Um, and I think that's so much of what queerness is about, right? It's not about like, oh, I'm from, you know, one of my really good friends, Jolly, always said like, you know, isn't it sad that like as queer people sometimes like we grow up in a box and then we have a crisis of identity and we're just trying to find our next box. Mm-hmm. You know, am I bi? Uh, am I a lesbian? Yeah. Am I this? And it's like, that's why I think like queerness opens up so much and non-monogamy too. It's not like, oh, I need this particular relationship style. And some people do and that's fine. But like it's it's if we take the pressure off, oh, I only have self-worth and value and I'll only be seen if people see me through this label. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like queerness is really about like fluidity and like and I think so is like non-monogamy as far as like different people like you could want a particular relationship structure, but different people are going to bring out different desires or mm-hmm. you're going to have different shape with different people. And like, that's OK. And that creates, well, it makes space for creativity. Yeah, exactly. You know, and to your point, you can be non-monogamous and not necessarily embrace that concept of creating space for creativity. And you can repeat really uncreative, uncreative relationships over and over again. Totally. But the space is there. The space is there. And I think the challenge is there. Right. You know, and just like the challenge of like, yeah, how do you create a secure dynamic with someone? And for some people, that's like focusing just on one person. And for other, it's having space for many people in different ways. And we all find security in different ways. So how did you possibly mess this up? This, oh. this, this all sounds like yeah. so well thought out. Yeah, right? You sound I like can't. a relationship coach or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> you possibly make a mistake Eli uh, that is where this began oh right? yeah well I mean I think the first mistake was yeah uh she and I were going on some dates and you know it was the it was the summer of the pandemic right so like, this is the first person that you dated mm-hmm. yeah okay like as kind of a single person out of this so you know and 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 all this so was like what summer of 2020 also mm-hmm. you know everything that was happening and um it was just heightened times and um I we went on some dates and I was starting to realize like oh, I don't think I want this to escalate to be exclusive and be each other's person. Like, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out what I want. I'm still trying to like figure out how do I know when a relationship's healthy? Cause like that was a big part of my ex. Like we, I, I did not realize it had been getting so unhealthy. So mm-hmm. like there was a lot of like self-preservation happening. There was a lot of like, also just, you know, I'd been in that relationship for so long. So I was like, I just want to like, <laughs> I want to like meet a bunch of people. Yeah. Right. And yeah. like, and I also like, I think being more comfortable in my transness was also a big thing. I didn't mm. feel as comfortable in my last relationship, you know, feeling really seen as a trans person. So I also like, you know, this person was really great, like, but I, I didn't, I just knew I didn't want to put it all, I wasn't ready to be exclusive and be on that relationship escalator that mm. I had done my whole life. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, and so I think how I messed up was just, I didn't communicate that. And I think, um, you know, again like heightened things with covid touch all this so like we finally had gotten to the point where like we could kiss and i just like didn't pick the right time like and like she like went in for a kiss and like we kissed and then like the first thing out of my mouth was like so i also think i want to see other people (laughs) (laughs) so you know timing might not be (laughs) like like, wait immediately after yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> because I had been holding it in yeah. and I didn't know when to bring it up. Oh. And I was so nervous to bring it up because I'd never had that conversation before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're like, I'm excited about kissing, but I'm really excited about talking about the structures of our right. Like, it was just such, like I was, it was like a little volcano in my head just went off, and like you know, I have like ADHD, so it was also just like you that's know? amazing. Like, that's yeah. Amazing. So you know, she felt rejected and she felt oh. like not desired, and you know, the thing kind of fizzled out yeah. from there. And, and I apologized and I like followed up and all that, and you know, uh, but. <laughs> I just think I learned, you know, a pretty valuable lesson around like one, you know, like know what you want mm-hmm. and then be like communicate that um, and communicate it early and communicate it often. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of journeys with that with different people over the last few years, you know, learning when to do it, how to do it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you kind of said a really elemental thing there around knowing like the challenge of knowing what you want mm-hmm. is already one huge challenge and then so hard yeah right and then knowing that what do i want and like knowing that independently of the affirmation of somebody else being like yes that's okay and like then being able to communicate what you want um and not feeling like you know that's probably like where a bunch of like shame and stuff like that comes up and am i going to be like validated by this person when i tell them what i want is what i want valid if Mm -hmm. it's not what they want Mm -hmm. like that's just like the whole so thing, fair. right? It is. Yeah. It, it totally is. And that, the, I mean, now we're getting into therapy zone real fast, but. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we have lived in cultures and often in families where the lesson we were observing from the very beginning was you have to hide parts of who you are or not access parts of who you are to be accepted, to be loved, to be cared for. That is the cost of a relationship. Oof. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Happy Monday. Oh, Happy Sunday. Yeah. Um, You're saying that's not true. <laughs> so I'm saying that this is like, these are muscles that are hard to develop. And that, that knowing what you want and believing that you can be cared for and accepted in that is not easy. Yeah. Um, and we don't see that modeled. Oh, Totally. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of my biggest lessons in the pandemic was like, it's going to sound so corny, but it's so true. It's like actually learning what it feels like to be loved and cared for. Mm. You would assume that being totally isolated and alone and unable to touch people when you're like love languages touch would be like the ultimate destruction. And, you know, there was some rough (laughs) mental health parts. I'm not going to lie. Like for sure, (laughs) you know. Um, But also I would say like by moving through that and having to like not rely on myself in the terms of like, I'm an island, I rely on myself, but more of like, I had to learn to rely on friends. I had to like deeply grow and rely on chosen family. Mm -hmm. And like my friendships are like stronger than they ever been. You know, my best friends like are my everything. Mm -hmm. And I think also having a deeper chosen family helped me feel more, hold more curiosity and flexibility in dating. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not relying Mm -hmm. on like yeah. the possibility with a romantic partner as being safe and secure in the world. Right. Like I want to experience safety and security with romantic partners. And like, I'm dating someone right now that is like, you know, amazing. And like, I'm actually getting to experience like that, like sense of security and building trust and like moving uh-huh. through of like, Hey, yeah. here's all my things. What are your things? Ooh, I like your things. Like, you know, yeah. like this is great, you know? Um, but I think too, like I wouldn't even have been able to be in this space with the girl I'm seeing now if it hadn't been for developing really deep friendships with people 
because I'm able to actually show up in a way that feels grounded. I feel rooted. I feel like cared and held for, and it, it feels less like it just feels less risky. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll always yeah, be a level yeah. of risk with your heart. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, it just, I just feel like less scared yeah. than I've ever been before. And to your earlier point about eggs all in a basket, if there's only one type of relationship and one person where you could expect to have that kind of intimate care reciprocity and feel seen, that stress is going to cause you to start hiding parts of yourself. I think it's really, really hard not to. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. there's so much pressure then. Totally. Totally. Well, and that brings up a good point too about like, um, I think friendships, I think part of the importance of having really strong friendships and being non-monogamous is like, then you also friends are holding different parts of yourself, right? Like we all have like, you know, we do different things with different people or there's certain conversations you have with certain friends and you know, there's certain parts of yourself that are like, Oh, I can tell this person this. And like maybe this other person, you know, we talk more about the other thing. And I think with non-monogamy, it's like also given me the ability to like feel like, Oh, I can show like different dimensions of myself, mm-hmm. you know, with different people. And also like, I know that there are people in my life that see me, you know? Yeah. I also think you can appreciate other people more when you're not looking at them like, so how are you going to become my everything? Yeah. Right. And not evaluating them based on like, you know, well, I don't like the way they, you know, this is the stupidest example ever, but like they like tacos and I don't like tacos. So I can't, this is not my forever person because what are we going to do about the taco situation? Right. I mean, that is a situation. I, <laughs> I mean, fortunately everybody likes tacos. So whatever. I, that was a terrible, but like, uh, you know, they don't like grapefruit bubbly. And only like apricot LaCroix, so we're Next. totally screwed or whatever. Yeah. Whereas like, I feel like in non-monogamy, you can be like, oh, that's fine. That's an interesting, right. incorrect thing about you, but. <laughs> Just Does that uh, not affirm what yeah. you're sharing right now? I'm here. <laughs> what did you say earlier? It's okay to have tension. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Oh my God. Well, I mean, and that's also been a big learning curve, right? Because we, we also grew up in a culture where it's like, if there's tension, then something's wrong. Mm, especially in Seattle. Oh, yeah. I feel like this the segue to yeah. talking about the differences. You grew up in Texas, right? Yeah. And how long have you lived in Seattle? Um, well, I've lived in Seattle probably like seven or eight years. So okay. I lived in Washington for 13. Okay. So this is home. Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting being a Southerner, right? Because the Southerner, Southern way is like, you just like are fake nice to mm-hmm. everyone. And you're warm. Like people feel warm, but like you don't actually really address anything. And then I moved here, which is all passive aggression. You just like, don't bring things up, but then it's also not always even a fake nice. Yeah, people are so. also aren't nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. man, there's also that. Yeah. yeah. So it's been interesting also then with dating uh-huh. and Namanong because like you have to just like honestly like the for me it's so somatic too. Like I can feel it in my body when I don't feel as connected or like aligned and everything. And so then I just like the only way to feel more present is to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and that's hard. That's a hard thing for me. Like, I would say that's still a skill. Like, you know, in therapy, I'm like working through it, you know, and like realizing that talking, having tension, having differences, figuring out whether those differences are workable or are they like, okay, like it was great dating you and now like we're just like yeah. not a good match. Like, that is so hard for me because like there's also so much around like abandonment yeah. there. Right. Like, you know, growing up in Texas and growing up queer and like uh, just experienced a lot of abandonment just in a lot of ways. Right. Like in my own personal life, in my early 
love life as a young queer person in Texas, just like socially and politically. Um, and so I think like, that's always probably like my hardest part in dating is like, is it okay? Like, when is it okay to leave? When is it okay to know that this tension's too much versus like, this is a normal yeah. tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I didn't know with the person I was dating right before the pandemic. Cause I had no idea. And then all of a sudden it just like crashed and burned. So like, that's another part of my journey with non-monogamy is like learning to assess what is the healthy tension you know, and like being okay with it. Like not everything has to be perfect all the time and like totally like flowers and sunshine, but like, you know, I want to be able to trust my body, but like, it's hard. It's hard to trust your body sometimes. Have you had the experience of, uh, de-escalating a relationship like we talk about <laughs> non-monogamy that you don't have to break up I you can do. de-escalate and I feel super proud about it really? oh cool <laughs> yeah. All right. tell us tells your glorious oh, story of successful okay. de-escalation well even just the word de-escalation like I'm a big fan um <laughs> you like yeah. yeah I like having it's words for a good thing like with relationships cops yeah. whatever we should be de-escalating <laughs> more things yeah we just well and yeah I think well Again, because, like, abandonment's a big thing, and, um, like, I don't want to feel abandoned, and I don't want other people to do, and I've had so many experiences where, like, you date someone, and you build this whole little world with them, and then they're just gone. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's usually very abrupt. That. Yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. hate that. You right. know? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I would much rather have something de-escalate and have time to, like, sit with it in my body, to, like, feel what distance with this person feels like, and, like, I'm okay, like, they're still okay, Like we still, there is still a connection. It's just not going to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, And like also with de-escalation, the the ways I've done it is, you know, again, like being clear up front, like what are we looking for? Because then I feel like it's easier than to have a check-in to be like, is this still working for us? Mm -hmm. And there's something you can point to, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that's helped. So like someone that I de-escalated with this past year, I've had two experiences this past year of de-escalating with folks and like one went really well and like one went like pretty good, but then like, I would say it was still like a little rough, but like, that's okay. Um, That's dating. Uh, Like one was like, I um, realized that, well, how do you talk about this? I don't know. Like, okay, yeah, this is so interesting. And how like language will fail us here in part because yeah. we have, we don't see this yeah. kind of stuff modeled like we were talking totally. about. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll just like fumble through it. Mm-hmm. Just and, invent a new language right okay. now on well, the spot. Okay. Yeah. Cause I guess the thing is like, <laughs> you get a chat bot to do it. Oh my God. <laughs> oh God. AI. Um, so, well, some of these details might matter to some folks and then others not. So I'll just like, put it out there but someone I was dating this past year you know had like three other uh like two or three other partners and like of differing types like one was like someone they'd been with like 15 years but they don't nest together and um they've actually denested, but like they have like a standing date you know like every week and, and like that's like one of their like they call them like their anchor person right okay. like, it's my anchor yeah. partner then they had another partner that they were more like um, romantic and sexual with and like all of that and like they were more long distance but then they moved back and um and that was another anchor partner and then there's like other people that either like kind of loosely dating or dating and then like I came into the picture um and like I was like so stoked and so into it um and you know because they had been doing non-monogamy for a long time it was just this ease of like talking about how do different partners matter to them in what way and it was so helpful. And so that was nice because then after a while, after a couple months, when I realized like, oh, well, I'm not getting what I want out of this and that's okay. 
And it wasn't because there's other people or anything. It was just like, for honestly, the big reason we de-escalated is because like, I'm a huge talker. <laughs> I want to text all the time. I want touch all the time. And like, you know, I was only, I, they only had so much capacity to give, you know? And they also like really don't like being on their phone, which is super legit. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a, oh, I don't want to talk to you. But I, and I actually just finally acknowledged, I was like, oh, like that's what you can do. That doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And then we had a conversation. I was like, I like, here's, you know, here's a request. And they were like, yeah, I don't think I can meet that request. And I was like, okay, fair. And then like, I want to kind of focus the time and energy I'm dating with you on other people. Like, mm-hmm. I think like I, I would still love to like, see you but like maybe not as much um and it was so hard to say that you know and it was like hard for them to hear because you know they like me too but they also totally got it they were like yeah "Yeah, like what you need i'm like i'm not going to do you know like and i was like cool so like now what do we do and like we see each other like once a month and that's what that connection is and we also talked about labels and language. I was like, I would say like we go on a date once a month, but I wouldn't say we're dating. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because right. like if we were dating and really trying to build a relationship, I need a lot yeah. more communication. So that's where we're at. It's like we go on a date yeah. once a month and it's sweet, you know, and like we'll check in every couple of weeks, little thing here and there and we follow each other on social media and it's mm-hmm. like sweet and fun. But like I feel really proud that I was like clear with myself. Like I named the thing. I was like, what is the thing that's making me not feel as good as I want to in this dynamic. And it was really like time and touch and communication. And I was like, that's pretty core <laughs> to yeah. dating, yeah. you know? And like, no, they, they're, they're not bad, they're not wrong. And they yeah. were just like, I can't, like that's what's not right. I was like, cool. It was like the calmest interaction. Yeah. We met at the Oak and Beacon Hill, you know, left yeah. with a hug and a kiss, you know? Like I was like- Wait, and you still see them like yeah. once a month? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Still see them once a month, yeah. you know? This is very inspiring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I love this. <laughs> right. I also say like we've both been in therapy probably for like a very long, like this is like a, like someone and they've, you know, like this wasn't like a new thing for them either. So uh-huh. like that, that helped a lot, but it was nice to have that experience and be like, it is possible. And it's like, yeah. know what that feels like in your body to kind of detach a bit more but for there still to be some yeah. care. Yeah. And I would say at some point, if we don't want to even do once a month, I think that'll be fine too, you know? And I was just thinking about that moment that you described so well of you needed something. This person was like, yeah, I hear that you need that. I don't think I can do it. That right there, I feel like all these cultural lessons I've learned have been, if you care for someone, one of you would override. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, one of you would put up with getting less or do something that didn't feel right. And if you really cared about each other, you would do that. Right. And it's so interesting to just like hold that moment for a second and be like, oh wait, no. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, and I feel like there's a scale of that. Cause I also think that like there are some people. (laughs) We won't be naming names. (laughs) There are some people, and I think probably anyone that's been diving into non-monogamy has pushed up against this. Where some people approach non-monogamy is like, I never have to put effort into anything ever. If I'm not just getting everything I want, uh, interesting. or if people have requests right. of me, mm. well then I'm just this like, you know, like then next, you know, or like uh-huh. you deal with it, or like those are your feelings that you need to handle. Right. That's a you thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like I think healthy non-monogamy is like, there's still a level of effort, there's effort. Right. right. It doesn't mean you're not putting in effort. And also we just need to be clear of like, what is a deal breaker? And I would say that was the big thing for me. I got clear of like, it wasn't just, I need you to do this more. It was also like, this is a deal breaker. Yeah. Right. You know, but like, what's interesting about that is you're saying it was a deal breaker, but it's not like you stopped dating the person. Like you, yeah, we just found shifted. a compromise. Yeah. Yeah. And we just like shifted. shifted to what worked better. 
Exactly. I was like, yeah. if you can't give me more time and attention, yeah. um, then I just want to be focusing on other people where I can get more of that, but also like, you're still lovely. Like right. I like our dates. You're not like, like now this person's dead to me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I would yeah. never like talk bad of them because they didn't do anything yeah. wrong. We just weren't a good fit. Yeah. You know, that idea of the good tension that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier and how do you know the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that thing about, uh, not being able to sit with tension or like, people just expecting non-monogamous relationships to always feel good and be fulfilling and never be hard is like this combination Mm. of like going from probably people going from monogamy to non-monogamy and kind of being like, I've moved from this thing that was difficult, maybe probably a specific relationship that was difficult to one that's ones that are going to be easier. And then also the thing of just like the sort of like, appification of relationships where you're like, I know that there are infinite other people out there. So I'm just going to be like, nope. You know, like if you bring the energy that you bring to like swiping Mm -hmm. to actual relationships with people, then you're always going to be like, Oh, there's more people, you know, this isn't my person. Yeah, and I think we all know what it feels like to feel swiped. Ooh. You know, <laughs> what do you mean by we that? do. Yeah. It's like you bring up one thing, and then people yeah. act like oh, you just yeah. like mm-hmm. are you know, and you're just like I would say it's pretty reasonable, right? Request, you know, like <laughs> you know, and then they just... yeah, and they're like, "Thank you, next," and you're uh-huh. like, "Okay, bye." Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think that that was interesting what you brought up about kind of collecting people and like moving through people and kind of the swiping nature. I would say also the, the, the there's a the healthy side of de-escalation. I would say the unhealthy side of de-escalation, which I also have to be careful with because I hate disappointing people. is also collecting people with these like strings of <laughs> de-escalate. Like, like for a mm. while I had like two or three folks who like I had de-escalated <laughs> things with, but I hadn't just let go. And like, yeah. you know, my friends were like, you could just let go, like, like, are you just avoiding, right, like, are you just avoiding actually just breaking yeah. up or ending, you know, or are you just really not wanting to hurt someone's feelings? And, like, that was another situation with someone else is I think we both de-escalated and then kept something going that really we should have just broken mm. up, but neither of us, like, we were both really good people and cared about each other and, like, all that, and, like, we just, well, not that breaking up means you're a bad person, but you know what I mean, just, like, I think we should have just broken up. We didn't. We strung it out for like another two months and then it made it a lot more intense of a breakup. Not like horrible, but just more charged. Mm-hmm. Where I think if that yeah. ori- initial de-escal- de-escalation conversation had actually just been a breakup, yeah. I think it actually would have been like a clean cut, you know, mm-hmm. just a clean, you know, and then maybe we could be more friends, you know, or something like that. This I think is hard too, this idea that some relationships do have arcs mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. there is an end to that arc. Yeah. You know, and that's also fine and healthy and not yes. a failure. Yes. Um, and that it can be like held as a whole wonderful thing mm-hmm. that had a beginning mm-hmm. and an end. Right. <laughs> well, you like to date people who are eminently leaving town. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so you like to have a clean, a clean end, right? Uh, yikes. That was I'm, I'm sorry. One I'm might sorry. call it a like geographical to. ending. You don't like cold, to. It is also not untrue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean it for it to sound cold. Sorry. I'm just saying that happens sometimes, that and it is. Happen. I'm not saying you like that necessarily, but I get, is, I, even though I literally said that. It, uh, it is interesting, though, that I think I have less experience with this because a number of people I have dated have been, and I don't, you could say that this is like the natural churn of Seattle right now. You could say that it's something about me. Um, 
have we just have a radar sensor. It's also making me realize that when Sarah and I first got together, it was like with a ticking clock. Oh. She was like, I'm moving to France to become an au pair. I'll never return again. And I was like, no, I love her so much. The agony. And you know what? That was in retrospect, great, like early 20s shit. Yeah. For the official record, I lasted as an au pair for exactly two days. Mm-hmm. And then I came yeah. back. Yeah. Shit's rough. It yeah. was Speaking of clean yeah. breaks, and then you told me you were coming back and I had uh, gone to college and had a girlfriend and oh, I was just like oh shit. what Sarah's coming back and then I immediately broke yeah <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. sorry Amanda <laughs> oops well, yeah. I could I see if I'd been non-monogamous then I could have just been like which pr- probably should think about well, this you, a little differently right but you just don't have the, like I, non-monogamy just when I finally realized like how healthy it could be I was like oh shit like this is amazing mm-hmm. like it does just opens up so much more possibility around like care and infection and people in our life like yeah like my friend Emma like she always says like you know have a bouquet you know like uh, and like like there's different types of people are gonna have different shapes yeah. in our life yeah. you know and I think that's also been something that's been really helpful too and that idea that we can choose and be chosen in a lot of different ways too i think like monogamy has this script that like there's one way to be chosen um in a relationship and that's the only way that really matters and i don't know Ooh. yeah 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 well i think like at the end of it right like we're all dating because we want to feel loved <laughs> you know we want to feel cared for and there's just so many different ways to get that you know ways to get it emotionally sexually uh, physically, like logistically, right? Like lifestyle, like, yeah. you know, like I don't know if I'll ever like nest with a partner now that I'm, which is hilarious because anyone that's known me for a very long time, like I was like, Mr. Monogamous, like I wanted to get married. Like I wanted yeah. like the whole thing. Like, and part of it was because I wanted to be chosen. <laughs> I like yeah. the idea of Mr. Monogamous as a drag person. <laughs> oh my God, we like, have to find like a good wedding song yeah. or something. Like, like, maybe like I strip out of a tux on stage. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. Okay, Sir Lloyd yeah. can do that. I, but I did, I mean, you caught my attention when you said that we all are dating because we want to be loved. Because I don't, that feels true in one sense, but I don't think that that is the mentality that a lot of people have mm-hmm. based on like, you know, a lot of people's like dating app profiles are like, I mean, I see a lot of like straight women on dating apps and many of them say, I'm looking for my person. What uh, does that mean? I want to, my partner in crime yeah. <laughs> is another one. First of um, all, you're going to need more than one partner in yes. crime. There's yeah. a lot of crime to do in yeah. this world. There is, and it often takes a highly skilled team. Yeah, yeah. And you know? <laughs> so really, non-monogamy <laughs> is really the pathway uh-huh. to more and... You know. You need the hacker, yes. the bomb guy. You do. The Ocean's Eleven, area. make it non-monogamous. Right. You, you know, need make 11 snacks. people, yeah. yeah. You, do. you also need 11 people to like buy a house and raise a family yeah. in the city. So like, <laughs> you. you know. It's perfect. Like, like yeah. that was the other thing is like with dating is, um, <laughs> that's been interesting on the non-monogamy path. Cause like I wanted to be monogamous. I wanted to be married. I want this whole thing. And mm. then like realizing I don't. Yeah. And like, it's also brought up a lot of like, well, what does yeah. long-term partnership look like for yeah. me now. like what do I want and like do I ever want to get married and like what does that mean to me now and like what if I have more than like one significant partner how do you approach partnership like do I want to nest with someone what does that look like like I mean now it's exciting I wouldn't say they're like terrifying questions but there's definitely like opened up a lot of things where like I spent so much of my life like I didn't really start dating non-monogamously until my early 30s so like 30 years of like 
toxic monogamy culture yeah. like just stuck in my head of like you are only have value if you're chosen by someone and now right. I'm like otherwise you're gonna be well, left right and right. I've heard gay people and I'm using that term mm-hmm. intentionally uh, yeah. talk about um, the validation that comes with like the societal acceptance of mm. like marriage and you know <laughs> coupling and being in in a sort of monogamous like traditional totally. thing is how you like show that you've been accepted you by the mainstream. You are now allowed to do capitalism together. Yes, right. totally. It's like, have you seen the shirts at Target? <laughs> they got Rainbow Target, people. Yeah. We've made it. Oh, my God. The ratio. Right. And like wedding cakes with two ladies or two dudes. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah. Well, and then that, I mean, then that comes into being trans, right? It's mm. like, for me, like, also, wow, my brain is on caffeine right now. I'm firing in a lot of directions. But like, okay, no breaks. We're going all the way through. <laughs> no, we can come with a new break. But it's just, y'all are really good interviewers. Oh, it's like hey, well, brain yeah. synopses. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say a couple things. One is, yeah, I was super intense about gay marriage. Like, And I think part of that was growing mm-hmm. up in the South mm-hmm. and growing up really pretty religious and like, and just in religious culture and all that, like, yeah, you do. You want to feel seen. I think it's a very human thing to want to be seen, witnessed, and affirmed by a broader sense of the like public and community. And I would say gay yeah. marriage does do that. And I think yeah. people should be able to do it. I'm probably not going to do it, um, which is hilarious. Again, just like people that know me, like I was that person like in college who watched like I can't believe I'm saying this, but um, who watched pretty much every single episode of like Say Yes to the Dress and like oh. all those like wedding shows. Yeah. Like I would binge watch those in college eating top ramen like on the couch you know like that was like my like little fantasy land of like one day like i'm gonna have this like big wedding yeah be picked and like now i can do it even if i'm gay and like all this stuff and then now i'm like i don't want to wear a dress (laughs) (laughs) so at that point you were like you're the yeah yeah i was more feminine and i wasn't out as trans and yeah um and like, uh, you know, I don't want to wear a dress. I don't think I want to get like legally married. I mean, maybe, but if so, maybe it's more of a like, just because the like hack capitalism type, like totally. gets some discounts, it seems right. like on some things, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh-huh. you know, if anything, it's more like what I want would be like some kind of like, more like just an actual coming together of community to be witnessed by people that actually know you. Mm-hmm. Not like that I need the state to know me, but I need yeah. like actually my chosen family and community to know me. And that's more of just a ritual, a big party, something like that. And also to then allow, like, again, if a relationship has an arc, it's like, okay, well maybe at one point it does end, but that doesn't mean like I'll never have a ceremony mm-hmm. of some kind. Like I do want that, you know, with like, with people, but, um, but that's one thing. And the other thing with being trans and like, uh, and we can maybe talk about this more after a break, but like, is that also made it so much more difficult around like who are people that are gonna see me and want to date me? Cause like I had my own internalized shame and transphobia around, especially just being more non-binary and like, like I, I don't want to be a man. Like I don't plan to like transition to like a binary sense of uh-huh. a person. And so like, it's been hard to like trust that there are people that are gonna want to be with me, attracted to me. They're not gonna like expect me to like bend a certain way or look a certain way and I think also like honestly like I've had way better luck dating with non-monogamy folks than monogamous folks because I think people who are already questioning pretty much every structure of love and romance I find are a lot more curious and like interested and like accepting of like my own fluidity 
you know? And, like, it's been so affirming. Like, I'd say, like, the dating I've done in the past, like, three years of being non-monogamous, like, has been the way better dating than, you know, however long I was trying to, like, you know, when I was more femme, trying to be, like, you know, all the pressure to be a woman in the world. So it sucks, you know? And then even when I started to identify more as trans, but, like, even monogamous, like, that was hard, you mm-hmm. know? Like, the, and the person I was dating was also trans. That's also what's hilarious, like. And, like, they they, they struggled because they had their own journey with transness. They mm-hmm. couldn't really see mine. Because mm-hmm. we had a different experience of being trans, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, I've just am so much more excited now than I was then of, like, oh, like, there are people that, you know, are attracted to me for who I am, you know? And that just feels so much more healthy and exciting and like there's not that rigidity yeah and that idea of going from one box to another box the the really strong pressure mm-hmm. uh to be labeled and, yeah right yeah totally well and it's hard too because even in the queer community right there's like pressure of like butch this femme that like gay this gay that and like i just appreciate queer and trans community so much because i think everyone's just like fuck it <laughs> like mm. you know like even if you're like one way one day and another way another day, like people that truly want to know you and see you are going to like be on that train with you. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, my friends and like, you know, the person I'm dating now, like everyone's just like, they're constantly just like really affirming like my own fluidity. And I just can't tell you like as a trans person, like how important that is mm-hmm. because especially as a non-binary person, because the everything about our world is like, you know, yeah, how well do you fit? And, like, to just constantly exist in, like, a kind of what I call, like, a genderfuck space mm-hmm. is, like, I, you confuse mm-hmm. people all the time and, like, I kind of like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know? Do like, crime. Yeah, like, yeah, be gay, <laughs> do crime, yeah. be trans, yeah. fuck it up. Fuck it up. You know? Yeah. So, um, it's just, it's been, um, that's been a whole other layer to this journey of, like, being in my body as a trans person fully for like kind of the first time, really trying on different relationship structures and communications and not that it's a structure you try on, but like, you know, you lean into, you try and see like which boundaries work for you. Um, it's just been so much more liberating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so amazing too, that entering into all of these spaces that people, I would say the culture, writ large sense mm-hmm. are dangerous mm-hmm. and that these are the spaces where you're risking being hurt being abandoned and being left are actually the places where you can start feeling healing totally well especially just with everything that's going on right now in our country around like trans community i think like a big reason trans folks and trans kids are getting attacked right now is because like it's it's to be vi- i also think it's because like to be visibly trans you know is a constant affront in the public to people's, like, sensibility of, like, order and structure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Um, And I think people feel so... It's just sad, because I think people just are feeling so threatened by other people existing. And I just think, like, wow, like, how small of a life must you be living that, like, just, yeah. Isn't that, like... This is just making me think about power Mm -hmm. this whole time, and that people's power resides in their a lot in their like gender presentation mm-hmm. right yes. and when they spend a lot of effort to like be like i mean like i'm you know doing this thing of like making sure that i present in a mm-hmm. way that like you know gives me access to as much as i like want to be cool and progressive like i'm still like showing up out there taking the white male cis power that there is mm-hmm. right and like 
you know, femme women are doing that. And mm-hmm. like every, there, we have all these scripts for how to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you work really hard to do that and then somebody comes along and they're like fucking it up, like mm-hmm. you said, and not doing it, then it's, mm-hmm. it is threatening because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I spent all this time trying to be this way mm-hmm. so that I could have power. And then this person is showing up and being like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. I'm just me. Yeah. Right. Totally. Well, and I think it takes like seeing people do it too to like feel the courage. Like there are trans people in my life who I saw who like were non-binary and like weren't trying to like look a certain way or they were just like playing with gender. And I just remember being like, wait, you can do that? Like you can just like, uh-huh. I don't know, like just do whatever you want, like confuse people. And like, you're not, you know, not, and so like that's helped me so much. Cause like, I remember when I first started growing a mustache, like I was so terrified to like be out in public. Like it's what felt, you know, cause being, a al- you know, alone so much in the quarantine, like I, I was able to just, it was amazing, like what just felt natural when you're not constantly fighting to be perceived, mm-hmm. you know. So like, yeah. I started growing facial hair, and I like was taking testosterone, and like uh, like all this stuff, and like started thinking more about top surgery, and like all these things, and like those are things that I, I think if I had gone through that experience being constantly in the public eye, I think there would have been a mm. lot more stress to maybe present in a more binary way, and because I was able mm. to like root myself in just like what actually feels somatically good in my body when we like re-enter the world like came out in a mustache and was like hello you know like <laughs> there was no awkward half mustache yeah, no, period you yeah. just got to come straight yeah, in yeah just, like, full stash, you know? and, like, um and you know, and it's definitely awkward because like I still sometimes use the women's bathroom also because Marley, I'm sorry, the men's bathroom is gross. Like, you know, like my joke is like, I hope I never pass so much that I can't use the women's bathroom <laughs> because I really don't want to use the men's bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, like, or, you know, ideally every place just has single stalls, like uh-huh. PSA to any business owner, please For the just love have of a God. single yeah. stall bathroom or make them, yeah, whatever. Um, Stop doing this to us. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, it's just like, to, but now I feel so much more like confident and comfortable. And a lot of that is because I have people in my life that are very affirming, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't feel pressure to like look a certain way or present a certain way. And yeah. And then too, just with dating, like people, it's, it's just so much easier to date folks that are already kind of like saying fuck it to things that are being told to us are like, this is the way to be, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. As I was listening to you talk, I was thinking also about how history will likely look back on the time of the pandemic as this like huge awakening in many ways. Like the fact that many people came out as queer, as trans, as non-monogamous, mm-hmm. as like neurodivergent, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you know having mental health challenges. It was definitely a period where, or and I think it's a period we're still living in, where there was some kind of opportunity there and I think it's hard to talk about it that way because I don't want to not take into account all of the really traumatic mm-hmm. and awful things that happened mm-hmm. um, but there is something there mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. there feels meaningful oh absolutely well I think that's like I mean that's my biggest wish for everyone it's just like find the thing that makes you feel free and just keep doing that yeah you know <laughs> and I think for everyone it's gonna look different you know it's gonna look different and that's okay it makes the world a lot more interesting if we're all doing different things you know if we're all mm-hmm. doing the same thing you know, that's how we get yeah. target yeah. gays. I was going to say, that's just like a lot of <laughs> wedding cakes. target gay out there, uh, I'm sorry. I love you. Uh, I'll see you at the Pride Parade, but actually probably yeah. not. But that's okay. <laughs> 
I hear Target is throwing their own pride parade. Oh, I'm sure they are. What if the thing that makes me feel free is peeing on the floor of the men's restroom? Oh, really? Okay, well, you do that. And as long as I have another option, then we're good. We'll just have a single stall for people who want to pee on the floor. Yeah. And you can go in that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, every park bathroom in Seattle is that. that Speaking of pee, this would be a great moment to take a break. That's why I brought it up. A pee break. Thank you. Eli, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we get to spend some time talking about sirloin. Yes. Tell us about sirloin. Oh, great. Well, so yeah, sirloin is my drag persona. Um, I've been doing drag now for about a year. It's something I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And again, like through the pandemic, it's just like, uh, you just got to do it. Um, And I would say for me... Doing sirloin has been really liberating because sirloin's whole persona is kind of like rhinestone, cowboy, you know, a lot of meat jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great. Sirloin's Instagram is so good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> last photo on there is just, uh, I love it. Oh, Print it out, frame it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. And um, I would say for me, like so much of it is kind of reclaiming masculinity, reclaiming, um, honestly being country and being Texan and being Southern. I think Texas, uh, caused a lot of trauma for me growing up. Um, men caused a lot of trauma for me growing up. Um, and I think men, I think just like masculinity and the patriarchy, I've also had to do my own journey, right? Like what's the difference between masculinity and patriarchy and you know, all that. Um, but I think for sirloin to like make toxic masculinity, the butt of the joke, has been just the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I literally have a whole note on my phone that's just like all these male stereotypes that I'm like waiting to find the right song ah! to like do a whole <laughs> thing to, you know? Yeah. Like I like frat boy, I've got, you know, uh-huh. like uh, I did like a politician in the last show. And are uh, you gonna do one where you're wearing the the salmon colored shorts that have been <sighs> I like need in to. so many yeah. memes recently? Oh, yes, <laughs> I need to. Wow. I need to. Oh yeah, I mean I wanna I wanna do like boat dad, you know? Yeah, but- like <laughs> You know, yes. like, you know, we all know those those dudes out on Lake Washington and the little power boats and mm-hmm. think they're so cool at 45 and, you know, like, just like, you know, I have things to say. And so, um, yeah, so it's been really great to, to just lean into that. And I think also, like, lean into performing again. I grew up doing performance in theater yeah. and then thought that I had to, like, leave that in order to do politics and policy. And so, for me, I'm kind of living my best life right now where it's like I get to do politics and policy in my day job and then I have this awesome you know side hobby where I'm getting to be you know a freak and a faggot and you know it it just feels so good to get to like embody that and not really have any kind of like boundaries around how I'm perceived what I say you know um so yeah like most people in my work life actually have no idea that I do this I was gonna ask that yeah yeah so it's been interesting to have some of them like find me online and they're Uh like and I'm like oh so-and-so's following me now (laughs) Uh they work in so-and-so's office (laughs) Yeah, but that's, I mean, I know that that doing that kind of whatever trailblazing, I don't know if that's a stupid or problematic term, but like is so valuable and powerful, like Mm -hmm. then you know that they know and like it's the same thing with being Mm -hmm. non-monogamous, maybe different, but similar Mm -hmm. uh, that you're sort of, you know, you have this like discomfort Mm -hmm. and you're maybe causing discomfort, Mm -hmm. but ultimately the result of that discomfort is probably like liberation for for people right totally totally and like the couple work folks that have come out to shows it's been awesome because then it feels like you know i feel a little bit more relaxed 
at work or in other spaces. And I think, you know, most people want to laugh, have a good time, and, like, poke fun at the things that, like, that kind of form of satire is, like, as old, I think, as, like, human consciousness. Yeah. Right? Like, we yeah, always, totally. yeah. like, you look back at, like, Greek plays and, like, all, like satire, gender, playing with gender. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not new. You know, and poking fun at power, which yes. in many ways, yeah. like yes. that distinction that you're making between masculinity and patriarchy, mm-hmm. and like some of those tropes, mm-hmm. that is that is the very heart of satire. Exactly, and I just love it. It's just like, oh my gosh, I I just yeah. like I don't want to do the type of drag. I mean, I think all forms of drag are amazing, and what I love is doing a lot more theatrical. There's a whole like arc to the story. I have props. There's kind of this like constant kind of tongue in cheek and like using the lyrics of a song to really like play with it, you know, like, one of my favorite things that I did lately was, uh, you know, did Shania Twain's You're Still the One, um, and to a gas lawnmower, it's a suburban dad. (laughs) (laughs) Had my Seahawks hat on, Seahawks shirt, got the white tube socks up to my knees, New Balance, you know, the guy that, like, you know, the male Karen, you know, like, made him the butt of a joke, kind of like making love to a gas lawnmower. Also, P.S., so hard to find a gas lawnmower in Seattle. (laughs) Everyone has, everyone's all Uh green and shit. The people who still have them are not giving them up either. Yes, yes, yes. And it finally worked out that some friends of mine had one. And um, so it was funny to like, and I had to like put a little Were you like doing the cord and stuff? Yeah, Yeah. the little cord. I had a little gas can, you know, like, and it was just like so fun. Like, this is a person that like, you know, this is a stereotype that, yeah. you know, gets a lot of airtime, but actually just got to, like, make them the butt of the joke. It was awesome. I, okay, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say there's something I find really, hmm, I want to use the word soothing, and I'm not sure if that's exactly right, but the idea that you could take some of those stereotypes of masculinity and patriarchy and make them something that feels fun and yes. benign and, yes. like kind of wonderful yes i just like as you were talking about it it's i was just like oh like deep sigh of relief yeah. Feeling, you know? yeah yeah totally well and also i think kind of showing masculinity in a variety of ways because i'm not just playing like a binary male character like i think what i like about sirloin is also like he's a little you know he's queer he's a queer you know like he likes women he likes men he likes you know a little bit of everybody and like i'm also enjoying playing with that too of mm-hmm. like also getting to show masculinity gets to be varied and, you know, like, and, and I think that's really important in the world. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know how exactly to frame this question, but I feel like there's like, isn't there a sort of like a philosophical thing behind drag that is, well, I, I guess I'm curious, like what, what is it? And like, if you're, a masculine drag performer you're talking about sort of like taking away the questioning the power or like interrogating the power is that the same thing that's happening with feminine drag um Mm, and like what is the i would say so i also think i think at one point too i think with drag and gender is i think the biggest thing is just like it's all a spectrum right right? because there's a lot there's again we got to like constantly move ourselves away from trying to like, well, is this drag and is this not drag? Right. Is that correct drag? Like, like there are people that are very gatekeepy, even within the queer community and the drag community of like, you know, uh, complaints around quote, like bio queens, right? Like cis women who do drag. Right. Like, right, right, right. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like yeah. do it. Like play yeah. up feminine. Like, like it's about performance. Right. And for some people there's, you know, trans women who do drag. And drag, it was a huge part of their journey. I mean, the person mm-hmm. who just won RuPaul's Drag Race, Sasha, mm-hmm. like, she's a trans woman. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, 
there's so much about gender and performance and play. And I think honestly, like if all of us had the experience growing up where we could play with gender and expression, I think A, we'd all look pretty different yeah. probably. I think there'd be a lot more senses of liberation in our bodies. And I think the reason some people like struggle with drag is again, like people are scared of seeing someone being liberated because then it, it's a mirror to ourselves of how constricted we are in ourselves. Yeah, I think that's why I was asking that because when you talk about the stereotypes like boat dad or whatever, <laughs> it's like as a like masculine cis man, mm-hmm. I like I sort of love those presentations. Yeah. Like obviously there yeah. are, there are things that are problematic yeah. about them or whatever, but yeah. like it's kind of amazing to have your gender presentation be something that can be kind of like caricatured totally. and so that you know that it's not like what makes you who you are yeah. 100% and it's like, you know, or like that if I don't show up in that exact way, that doesn't mean that I'm not a man, totally. right? Or like there's totally. no particular way to be. There's kind of all these different ways to be and like, you know, I feel like a great affinity yeah. <laughs> for some of those things in a tongue-in-cheek way totally. because it's like that's kind of what's there, totally. right? Well, I think it's why a lot of people love like femme drag too and drag queens, right? right? Mm-hmm. Is because even there are some people that don't like it because they think it's poking fun at women, right? And w- since women are oppressed, that then like sing it. I'm like, I don't think that's what it's doing. Like it's poking fun at I think, f- well, and also not all drag is poking fun, right? We got glamour queens, we got people where it's just actually like they're just trying to like wow you and yeah. they do a fucking yeah. good job. Yeah, if you've never seen someone have to like tuck themselves in the sh- stuff pantyhose and put on breastplate and you know put on makeup for three hours if people think that like they're just doing that because they want to like have power over something like that's ridiculous Mm. like you know people are doing it because like it's a form of play it's a form of getting to like experience something in their own body and like be a performer and like and often homage to things that are deeply important to people like like, exactly like impersonators like when people do like celebrity impersonation drag things like that like it's an homage to stuff Mm -hmm. so like that's like drag is such a like spectrum of an art and like there can always be like some people that do it in poor taste or whatever you Mm. know like the joke didn't land or didn't wasn't quite the right thing but like um also like i just also since most folks that do drag are queer um i also think too when we think about power structures (laughs) i'm looking at how oppressed queer people are how oppressed like gender is and trans people are like i mean even if there was something that like poked too hard or was or or whatever like we don't really have that kind of power <laughs> like like you yeah. know like, like, right. like that's not it's, like especially with what you do it's punching up exactly. for sure right exactly yeah. we're yeah. punching yeah 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 we're yeah. punching up so um i just think it's really fun and i think seattle's a great drag community because there's a lot of different types of drag yeah um, and it's just so awesome. Like you don't, you don't just have to be like, I've actually struggled at first with a bit like being called drag King because, mm-hmm. um, and I feel a lot more comfortable with it now. And like, sometimes I just say drag performer, like, you know, so like, I, but I say drag King too. Like, but again, it's just, there can be so much weight mm-hmm. put on things and yeah. Yeah. I, not to go on a whole tangent here. Yeah. Oh, and one of our children is yeah, really, really interested in drag right now. Oh my God, we should do a little workshop. Oh, and I know that'd yeah. be so fun. One of the things that he is struggling with is, first of all, it's really hard to access drag for kids. Yeah. And, and I, I'm a little bit like... Ahem. Yeah. <laughs> See national conversation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Children interacting with people in drag. And also yeah. he's like, I want to do it. 
I don't Aww. just want to see it. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting to see the reactions for him in the world. Like he dressed up in like a little preppy outfit for a memorial that we went to here recently, and then he just wore this like fabulous pearl necklace. Yes. Style. He looked amazing. Yeah. And also the amount of commentary. Mm-hmm. It was just incredible. Right. Like how that yeah. one little act just gets so much commentary from me. Yeah, well, and this was making me think about how we went to the trans visibility, mm-hmm. trans day of mm-hmm. visibility a couple weeks ago, and there were drag queens, mm-hmm. and then, and he was, like, watching that, mm-hmm. and then there was a drag king, yeah. and, like, that, he, like, really was interested in that, yeah. and was just, like, excited about realizing that that was a, a thing, too, totally. and just being, like, you know, he's, like, AMAB. yeah. And like just having both possible yes. sort of any possible totally. expression was, like, affirmed this was like that he yeah. got that I mean when you talk about liberation and the possibility of what it, things could look like yeah. for uh, um, younger people and other generations, it was like this giggle that was just like oh my god <laughs> like yeah. you know yes. and it was so exciting and so yeah beautiful. so sweet oh my gosh and well. Sweet. So glad you brought that up because there is an all ages drag show that happens now once a month in West Seattle at Kenyon Hall. So my drag mom puts it on Jezebel Johnson. It's called the Kenyon Hall Cabaret. Next one's on May 12th. Um, So just follow on the Kenyon Hall website. But it's all ages. Starts at 730. Um, And yeah, I mean, six year olds giving out dollars. Honestly, like they're lit. They're the best tippers. (laughs) Yeah. Please give your kid yeah. the cash. Yeah. Right. You're gonna Six-year-olds are also more. obsessed with money, oh, so yeah. I'm sure. Well, they want to be yeah. part of it, right? Yeah. So they're like in the middle of the of the aisle, and you're like having to like dance around them, but you're like into it. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Okay. Oh, our kid is <laughs> yeah. gonna lose yeah. his mind. Yeah. 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 Okay. While we're doing plugs, uh-huh. do you have any performance? I think we're gonna release this episode very soon. So uh-huh. do you have any performances coming up if people want to see Sirloin? Yeah, I'll be at the Kenyon Hall Cabaret. Mm-hmm. It's put on, yeah, by Jezebel Johnson, um, and then I'll also be at Box Bar on the 13th, um, which of is. Because yeah. it's a vegan restaurant in West Seattle, <laughs> sirloin will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Gonna be great. So, but you can follow me at sirloin Seattle, um, at sirloin Seattle, and then I'll I'll keep things posted there. Great, awesome. Yeah. Uh, last couple of things, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. you can take it wherever you want to, mm-hmm. Eli. I was curious about uh, something you mentioned about reclaiming being from the South mm. and being mm. from Texas. And I just was curious to hear you talk about that a little bit. I think as folks who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, we can we can often get places like Texas totally wrong. Yeah. Um, and also we're always very interested in mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to hear you talk about that a little bit more. And then the last question I had was I'm putting together kind of like an informal polyamory primer for people who mm-hmm. are opening up and, mm-hmm. and just getting like piece of advice mm-hmm. from people or like, you know, some of those yeah. hard lessons learned. So yeah, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Well, reclaiming the South. Well, I think first off is, um, and a lot of people have said this, so this is not anything original, but, um, I think the biggest thing about reclaiming the South is a, just understanding that like resistance and organizing has been there since time immemorial. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people often view the South as like a lost cause or like, oh, it'll never turn blue, blah, blah, blah. And I think one is like people have been, yeah, existing, resisting. I mean, mutual aid, like, I'm sorry, that's a Southern thing, you know? <laughs> you know? Like, that's not some like anarchist Seattle, like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Thing, you know? Like, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, we're probably the worst. You know? <laughs> like, uh, and, um, I think, like, growing up in the South, as hard as it was as a queer person, it was also where I, like, saw what, like, resistance and joy can look like amidst, like, so much hard 
shit. Um, and like what true community care can look like. Um, and also what the long game is. Mm. I mean, people are playing the long game in the South, right? Against racism, against voter suppression, against transphobia, against, um, you know, like queer people have always been in the South. Like it is, it's really devastating all the things that are passing through the legislature. And also like, you know, I'm seeing communities and visibility that like I never saw hmm. when I was young, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think so much through like the more visible we are, the more attacked you are. Right. Um, and like, I'm just, I'm not, I don't feel a sense of hope, hopelessness, excuse me. <laughs> don't feel, <laughs> wow. That talk. Don't feel a sense of hopelessness. Um, when I think about organizing in the South and like definitely encourage folks to like support organizations that are based in the South and organize in the South. Um, because I think like also so much of what we see there is like voting structures and gerrymandering and other things. So like, it's not just like, Oh, people should turn out to vote. Like people are, I mean, you want to talk about like, like, you know, black voters in the South have been fucking turning out, (laughs) you know, like, and fighting to turn out. Yeah. And fighting to turn out. And like, you know, so for people, I think up North to like look down and be like, Oh, well they just didn't turn enough. People didn't turn out or like Mm -hmm. young people didn't turn out or like whatever. I'm like, wow, like F you like like people, you know, there are structures at play that are making it almost impossible. And, um, I don't think it's hopeless, but like, I do think it's going to be like the long haul. Um, but I think any time we look at like the heart of any social movement, I think like you can look at organizing in the South and it, what sucks is the stories just aren't told. Right. Hmm. You know, they're there. Uh They're totally there. They're totally there. Um, and I think it taught, yeah, it just taught me so much around multiracial organizing, intergenerational organizing. Um, yeah. Community care. Like I just, I'm so grateful for it because you have to rely on each other. Mm-hmm. You can't cast people aside, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like reclaiming the South is, is so key around um, sometimes the things that are really hard, you know, obviously shape us. And like, I'm really grateful. Like it was hard to grow up there. And also I'm really grateful that I did. Um, and, you know, I'm really glad to be here and also like continue to shape things here because we all know like the Northwest has a long way to go with mm-hmm. structural oppression as well. Yeah. You know, most regressive tax codes, still super racist. Like we've got, we've got all of our own stuff here too. So I definitely don't view it as like a, oh, I'm here now, so I don't uh-huh. need to like do anything. No but. gas lawnmowers though. We have no. no yeah. lawnmowers, yeah, yeah. So. Solved it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker got a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, yes. oh, oh yeah, no, right. no, no, no. we have an E for explicit. So here's the most controversial question, okay. though, of course, which is best barbecue in Seattle. Is there any good barbecue in Seattle, Eli? Yes, there are, and it's all pop ups. Uh, oh. So a couple ones. One is Burn Unit Barbecue, super good. Um, shout what out to them. Was. Yeah. Oh, you should ask them about. There's a whole story to it. It's great. Um, and also, uh, uh, Northwest Texas barbecue, um, his stuff's awesome. He pops up at a lot of breweries around, um, and then up in Marysville is, uh, Jeff's Texas style barbecue and he does a lot of good stuff. Um, and there's, there's even more, but those are some of my top three. Um, 
I, I mean, I could go I, on. I, 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 it sounds like we like pre gave you that question because <laughs> you were so ready. <laughs> I really thought you. Three, I right? feel like a lot of people from the south when I ask that they're like, "You just got to come to my house." Right. Which oh is, no, I don't. I get invited to people's houses. No. Okay. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> Grilling is not the same as barbecuing. God, barbecuing takes a lot of time uh, and a special kind of wood. Right. And um, I have ADHD and I don't have time for that shit. Yeah. So like, yes. I will go eat someone else's 13 hours of labor and love uh-huh. and I will pay them a lot of good money for it <laughs> because thank you for your service. Yeah. Yes, truly. Right. Because <laughs> I just rolled out of bed and I just want a beer and eat some brisket. You oh know, God, I'm getting really hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Brisket sounds so good. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Eli. That those yeah. are all three yeah. places I had not heard of before. Great, so. no, great. Yeah, you're bringing great. the, the yeah. outsider barbecue, yeah, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what about any pieces of advice for newbies to non-monogamy? There's, it's on trend, as you know. Lots and lots of people in this city, and I think everywhere, are exploring it. Yeah, um, they all should go on. Barbecue dates, yeah, to these places. <laughs> unless, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're Is beating a lot unless of you're dating a vegetarian, yeah. <laughs> like I am. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. Um, um, and uh, I would say some primary. I would say well, one is I think like. Um, I would say just like lean into communication early and often. Because I think, and be vulnerable, like, with what you want, what your desires are, like, any hard no's, any hard boundaries. Because if people can't meet them for whatever reason, like, the earlier you know that, I think, the better, you know, mm-hmm. that then that kind of helps prevent any, like, resentment kind of growing. I think, yeah, don't be afraid to let things go or let people go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, really viewing it from abundance, not to the abundance to the point of, like, swipe, 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 right? But, like, mm-hmm. abundance to the point of, like, there's a lot of ways to be loved and there's a lot of people that want to love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also, um, like, it's okay to have your own desires and needs change. Mm. I feel like that's, like, a big thing. Like, mm. what I, my whole, like, when people are like, what kind of non-monogamy do you do? Or, like, what's your approach? Like, what I say now is really different than what I said, you know, three years ago. Hmm. Um, and it'll probably continue to shift, in, especially, too, as I, like, deepen relationships with folks, right? Like, you know, when you're not really tied to any one person, like, what you're looking for might be different versus when you're really tied to someone and, like, you know, really building something really intentionally and, like, everything's, yeah. So it's it, it shifts and change, and that's okay. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Change. Yeah. yeah. I, that is something that comes up again and again, I think, is that non-monogamy create space to let change be okay and not scary and yes. in fact mm-hmm. exciting it it does yeah it does well and i think also you brought up something earlier about like when to bring things up or like how <laughs> you know and i feel like yeah it's like the hardest part about non-monogamy right because it can be real i mean well in dating in general really, even if you're monogamous like it's scary to like show what we really need or something that's hard or is this a big deal or is this a little deal and like you know like something I really appreciated with the girl I'm dating now, Natalie, like, you know, early on, like there was something that was kind of, you know, bothering her and she wanted to talk about it. And she did, she texted first and was like, you know, yes. Hey, like, do you want to talk about this in person? Do you want to talk about it over text? It's not a huge thing, but it is something that's just like been like kind of prickly for me. And, you know, I was like, cool. Like I got to consent and to like text mm-hmm. her phone and win. And, you know, like I was like, since it wasn't a big deal, I was like, yeah, let's just chat with them over text. And we like cleared it up in like five minutes. And I, I was that. like, and it just set this on ramp for yeah. us. Where it was like, oh, like, this is someone that I could just do this with, mm-hmm. you know? And it's been great. 
And like, I, I think like it's, it's really like healing for me to like be able to just lean into that communication and talk through prickly things because like, that's normal. Like we're in this fucking universe and we're all just like these floating blobs of people on this one planet in this one moment. And this like, is Eli's dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> Let's blob together. Yeah. Um, it's sexy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's honestly, it blows my mind that any of us can like make something work because like, huh. of course there's going to be some tension and, and like, and good tension. I think because like, we're entire, our own little universes and this big universe and we just bump into each other and there's some attraction and some chemistry and then you try to make something work. Like, it's kind of a miracle. It is. And so, mm-hmm. like, when it's good, it's good, and, you know? And then when it's it's not good, like, we have to learn to just move on because, like, there's so there's there's so much to, like, experience and feel and, like, um, if we get too myopic and, like, too, like, scared and small and, like, be in a small shape, then, like, what are we on this fucking planet for? Mm. Yeah. You know? Like... Yeah. I didn't like fucking struggle through like so much homophobia my whole life to like move to Seattle to like play small. Yeah. Uh huh. So you you're saying be like, a big blob. Yeah, I'm gonna be a big want. blob. I'm gonna be you know, like big trans sirloin drag like anxious attachment big love language. T- you know, I'm ready to like show yeah. all my little parts to folks. You know, like like I'm a lot and like that's okay. Yeah. You know. Um, and uh, I don't know where I'm going with this now. Well, that's <laughs> I loved it. A great outro. Thank, <laughs> thank was... you for sharing your Eli. parts with us. Yeah, we're not here to play small. We're, we're not here show to show your parts. You know, show all your stuff. Like, and yeah. that what else are we doing? Yeah. Message in it too. Like what what are you what saving are that bigness for? for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you saving it for? What are you saving it yeah. for? You right? He can't take it with you. Yeah, you can't take it with you. You know? Uh-huh. Like, exactly. When you go to the big blob. Yeah. Collective blob and this guy. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You can't you can't take it with you. And like I think that's you know and I think too, kinda closing out also like on the pandemic part and like quarantine, like I think we all like felt that loss of like being seen and being in community and so I think there's so much to lean into now, and it's scary, but it's yeah. worth it. Right, and it showed us some of the things that weren't working, mm-hmm. and gave us mm-hmm. some space to imagine mm-hmm. things that could work. Yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Eli. Oh, thank this you. has been wonderful. Here. Such yeah. a good conversation. Great. So great. And thank you for listening to Mistakes Were Made. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Instagram at MistakesCast. And also follow Sirloin on Instagram at Sirloin Seattle. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. That was so fun. Yeah.